Well, thank you guys. It is a great uh, pleasure to be here. I didn't travel very far. I live just south of here in Peachtree City where I left my beautiful wife and my five kids, eight and under. So we might not need to pray again for me, but we might need to pray for my wife right now because I guarantee you one of those little boogers is awake. The hardest thing, by the way, real quick, about having five kids, one of them is always awake. How many of you come from a big family? Now, I know what you did growing up because this is what my kids do. I know you strategized every night, and that's at least what my kids do. They go, okay, last night was the night that I woke up screaming for no reason, and tonight, Conrad, tonight's your night. But listen, don't scream because that's what I did. They're getting used to that routine. You just walk downstairs and stand beside Dad on his side of the bed, but don't say anything. <laughs> just, just stare at him. Because eventually he's going to wake up and it's going to creep him out and he won't be able to go back to sleep. It's going to freak him out. Because you know when we wear them down, we get what we want. So anyhow, you be in prayer for my wife, Terry Sherrard. And I appreciate that nice, you know, intro about, you know, who I am and what I am. But really what you should have just done was say, Mike Sherrard married Terry Anna, formerly Watts. That is my greatest accomplishment, no doubt. And if you saw a picture of my wife, you would agree. You would know that. There ain't no way in the world that guy, how the heck did he end up with her? Anyhow, all right, how many of you like winning? Oh, come on now. How many of you like winning? Oh, what would you think I said? Whitney. Whitney. <laughs> Sorry. That's my weird... Grew up in New Jersey, lived in the South accent. Yeah, how many of you like winning? There you go. All right. That's what I figured. How many of you like winning arguments? All right. Now, most of you raised your hands. And for those of you that didn't, uh, one of two things is true about you. Either you're lying right now and you need confession or two, you're telling the truth. And in that case, you need counseling because that means you like to lose an argument. And that's just, that's just weird. Let's just be honest. If you like losing an argument, there's something wrong with you. Uh, how many of you though, in the attempt to win an argument or, or get into an argument, you've gotten into just a really heated argument? I'm talking maybe, yeah, okay, thank you. This is confession time. This is good. You now get to tell us your story. Come forward and, it, no, I'm kidding. You, you had those daggers like, I'm going to kill this guy if he's serious. Um, it's crazy, right? Just ideas, differing ideas are so powerful that they'll set us over the edge. And most people have been there. We've been so angry. Some people in this room may, you don't have to raise your hand at this, some of you may have gotten into a fist fight, beat, tried to beat somebody up just because you had a differing idea about something. It's really crazy. Ideas are so powerful and we have all been there. Tonight what I want to talk to you briefly is how to talk graciously but persuasively about really controversial things like politics or morality, or even religion, and do so in a way where at the end of it, both people can walk away as friends and not enemies. And it's really important that we do this, because I know many of you, 
have just decided not to talk about these things anymore. You're just so frustrated, especially now in this crazy political environment. You're just, you're just sick of it, right? Uh, CBS 60 Minutes did this great piece last night on the election. It just This guy got a focus group and asked them some questions. And, and the long and the short of it was, Republican or Democrat, Trump supporter, Clinton supporter, the bottom line is everybody was just fed up with all of the arguing, all of the fighting. Things about morality, is, modern issues of sexuality, the LGBTQ uh, and on and on, those issues, they're just heated. So much arguing going on. And of course, religion. I imagine every one of you in here has gotten into a heated argument when it comes to religion. And many people consequently have just decided to forget it. I'm done. I'm not going to talk about these things anymore because I'm just, I'm sick of all the fighting. So many of us have decided to just be silent on these really important issues. And what's even worse though, perhaps, is we now live in a time where many people are trying to silence opposing views. Have you experienced that? You have a certain belief that doesn't fit with the majority. And so what they try to do to you is shut you up and not allow you to talk. Free speech is really being threatened Today We are nearing an Orwellian, that's probably not a good word in an echoey chamber. Uh, if you ever read the book 1984, George Orwell, his kind of dystopia uh, book about the future and the fact that there would be no free speech anymore, that there would be a thought police. It, it seems like we're almost there. That if you hold certain views, you're not allowed to express them. You better be quiet. But here's the, here's the deal. There are certain issues in life that are so important, so fundamental, that we cannot be silent, nor can we let uh, others try to silence us. Because if this happens, there will be no understanding, there will be no moral progress, and there will be no peace. You think about it, we as a people, we, want, we, we ought to be truth seekers, right? We ought to all be on a quest to know what is true. But when we are silent, or worse, when we are silenced, how is truth ever going to be known? How are we as a people going to work together to understand life, understand big questions like, does God exist? Who is he? If he does exist, how can we know him? What does he expect from us? How can we learn and know about these things if we don't talk about them freely and openly, but graciously and with respect? Moreover, moral progress will be stopped if we are silent or worse, are silenced. Think about where we'd be in regard to the civil rights movement if the minority voice was silenced. We wouldn't be where we are today. And peace, we would not have peace. I know that's kind of counterintuitive because a lot of us have decided, well, I'm not going to talk about these things anymore because when I do, the only thing that happens is, is a fight. But let me ask you this, when there is something that you are very passionate about, when you have questions that are just gnawing at you, when you see people living in a way that you are so convinced is wrong that it's hurting them, are you peaceful if you have to be quiet about that? No, and what's worse is if you are silenced on something, 
These things just build up and build up and build up and eventually it explodes. And so what we need is we need a way to talk about these very controversial, potentially emotional issues, but do so effectively, do them with respect, do them in love, but do them well because our goal should be to persuade people of what we think is true. That's how you respect people. If I think something is true, I'm going to respect you by trying to persuade you. But I'm going to do it in a certain way. That's why I wrote the book that I wrote, a book called Relational Apologetics. Now, what the word apologetics means, or what an apologist is, is not somebody that goes around apologizing all the time. And that's what that word sounds like. That's what husbands do, by the way. Amen. Amen, yeah. Okay, uh, now what apologetics is, it comes from a Greek word that means to give a reason or to make a defense for your beliefs. And so what I did was I wrote a book called Relational Apologetics for Christians so that they would know how to talk about God and not just talk about God, but explain the reasons for belief in God. But do so in a way that you don't have to get into a fight. Don't have to belittle somebody. Don't have to mock somebody. Don't have to be sarcastic. That you can do it with your aunt, your uncle, your coworker, your friend, your fellow teammate. And at the end of it, both feel encouraged and then go out and play ball together. And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight. Now, I've got something for you that you might think is stupid and gimmicky. And that's fair enough because I hate acronyms myself. Okay? I'm allergic to acronyms, but they're really effective. And I want to give it to you tonight because I think it's something that you can walk away with and help you. Because when you are getting caught up in the heat, the energy, the emotion of these uh, arguments, you need to remember something. And you can be gracious, you can be persuasive in these conversations if you'll do this, if you will check your pulse. Okay, I know this is pretty lame. But here's what pulse is. These five things. If in that moment when you're getting angry, when you're getting heated, when you feel like the conversation is getting ready to spiral out of control, check your pulse. Ask yourself these five questions. Am I being too preachy? Pete, you guys like to be preached to? We'll get to this in a second. Am I being too preachy? Am I using questions? Am I listening? Am I staying on topic? And am I being encouraging? Let me give you those five things one one more time. When you're in these conversations that are really emotionally charged, check your pulse, ask yourself these questions. Am I being too preachy? Am I using questions? Am I listening? Am I staying on topic? And am I being encouraging? Have you got that? I bet some of you already do. We good? All right, we can go. We're done. No, I'm kidding. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Ask yourself this question, am I being too preachy? And I think you know what I, I mean by that. Now, preaching is good. I mean, that's part of what I do for a living. I, I preach. Uh, sitting in a lecture is really good. Some of you are paying a lot of money to go to school here. Some of you worked your tails off to get a scholarship here. And part of it was you wanted to get the education. And it's good to sit in a lecture. It's good to be preached to by a man who has devoted his life to understanding the Word of God and its relevancy for your life. It's good to go sit in those settings and listen to that. It's good to go into a classroom and learn about bioethics from somebody who has studied that for their entire life. But let's be honest, 
most of the conversations you get in, you're not in front of an audience standing behind a podium giving a presentation on something you've devoted your life to speaking about, is it? How patronizing is it when you are lectured by your teammate in a field that you know this guy doesn't know anything about? Do you like being preached to by your friends and your teammates? How many times have you done it yourself, though? <laughs> yeah, there you go. You can, do it. You can say it. You can say it. We've all done it, though. And it's because these things we're so passionate about, and sometimes we just get carried away. We just go on and on and on and on. But the problem is, is you're giving a lecture to an audience that's not paying attention. You're talking like an expert about a subject that you only know a little bit about. It's very disrespectful to do that. And it doesn't lead to a good conversation. What do you do when you're being preached to by one of your friends and you're in the dorm room or you're, on, you're in the car, you're going somewhere and someone just starts preaching to you? What do you do? What? You stop listening. How many of you just stop listening and zone out? What else? What else do you do when someone's just preaching at you? You get upset with them. You get angry. When you're angry with somebody, are you really going to listen to what they're having to say? No. What else? What do you do when someone's just preaching at you? You stop talking. So it's not a conversation anymore. So if this is what happens to you, when somebody does this to you, why do you do it to other people? Don't do that. Be humble about these types of things. I'll say this. If you want something to be loud and in somebody's face, let it be your lifestyle. How about that? Especially if you're a Christian. Let me just talk to those of you that, that would identify as a follower of Jesus Christ. I know many of you are, are so convinced that God is real. You've experienced Him. It's not just an intellectual thing. You have had an encounter with God. And you're so passionate about this. You want to tell other people th these things. Now how many times do you know somebody who will go on and on about they should believe in God and they should live this a certain kind of way. But you know that person and you know how they live. And they're a hypocrite. If you want your words to have any value, your lifestyle much must match it. So if you want something to be loud, if you want something to be in someone's face, if you want something to preach, let it be your lifestyle first. And don't go on and on and on pretending to be an expert when you're not. So if you're not going to preach at somebody, if you're not just going to get on your soapbox and lecture them, what are you going to do? You're going to use questions. Questions are so powerful in conversation between some friends. Do, do questions, if asked in the right tone, are they threatening? Does it feel like someone's attacking you when you're asking a question? What, what do questions, how do questions come across? That I want to hear what you have to say. I want to understand. Very good. What else? What do questions communicate? What's that? I cannot hear you. And you're right here. Curiosity. So what does it show the other person about you? You want to know what's true. I'm not just... Somebody that likes to get into a fight. I want to know what is true. It shows a bit of sincerity about you, doesn't it? 
I'm genuine. I really want to understand, not just show that you're wrong. I'm not out to beat you up and win an argument. I'm out to understand. That's really good. Questions are so powerful for this reason. What you said is exactly right. But questions cause us to reflect and to think. I remember a time right after high school, I was uh, with some buddies of mine. We were going to see a movie. And the showtimes were, you know, outside of the movie theater. And we were sitting there, and we, were, we were looking at them. And these two guys apparently thought we were sizing them up, checking them out, doing something. Because they walked over, and these guys were, they were intoxicated, whether it was alcohol or what, not too sure. And uh, the window's down, and, and he walks up, and he gets right in my face. And he starts going on and, and running his mouth and... Um, not one of my better moments here, but I imagine a lot of you guys would have acted the same way. The guy's right in my face. I said, what are you doing? You're in my face. What do you want, a kiss? Not the best way to diffuse a situation, right? <laughs> the guy steps back and with a little slurred voice, he goes, oh, no, man. Oh, no, this dude's going to use the bad word. I'm going to punch this guy in the face. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, gosh, I'm such an idiot. I'm, why did I do that? I'm not going to get into a fight right here at the movie theater. There's a police officer right there. I'm just going to get punched in the face. That's what's going to happen. I'm just going to get punched in the face. So I kind of put my arm up on the armrest, maybe getting ready to try to block it, ready for the, the impending blow. I don't know why I didn't think just to roll up the window or the guy to drive away, right? But <laughs> boys will be boys, which means stupid, right? And this guy's literally, he goes to his little buddy, his little lackey, he's like half his size, like count, I'm counting to 10, I'm going to punch him. And the other guy's like, okay, yeah, you do it, you do it. And then my friend from the back seat, in his slightly Californian accent, though he's not Californian, just goes, dude, why are you so angry? And the guy just, he freezes in his tracks, and he goes, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and my friend Cameron in the back seat, he pulls out, he's got a track on it, you know, something that explains the gospel. And he goes, hey man, let me give this to you. And the guy goes, oh no, I know what that is. My granddaddy's a preacher. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm so sorry. And then he just, that's the power of a question. It stopped this guy in the midst of his tracks because it caused him to think and reflect. Why am I so angry? And that's what questions do. They make people think about their beliefs. And isn't that the goal in these conversations? You believe in God. Somebody doesn't. You want them to think about their beliefs and to think about yours. Questions do that. So ask questions. Again, questions show sincerity. I was recently on, and you pointed that out perfect, I was recently on a trip to England speaking at a, a bioethics conference on things like abortion and uh, what is human value, what makes humans worth anything. And uh, one of the groups that was out there, what, they did street displays. These are pretty, uh, pretty graphic things. I don't know if you've seen anything like this. They show images of uh, an aborted uh, baby, and they're pretty hard to look at. And uh, we were there, uh, not with that group, but we were there um, just kind of checking out, seeing what they were doing. I was on the other side of the street, and there were these two, these two Brits, and they were uh, mocking that display. They were laughing at it. They were criticizing it, and one of the guys that I was with walked, up, or walked over. He was in a wheelchair. He wheeled over to him, 
And he said, hey, you guys, uh, let us in on the joke. And they, they started just ripping what this group was doing. Just mocking them, making fun of them, getting really angry. And I just simply asked the guy a question, because I got a choice there, right? I could come in and start defending them, right? I could say, well, this is why they're doing it, and this is the reason, and this is why you're wrong. And I could have done that, and that's what a lot of people do, right? When somebody's challenging you or your views or your beliefs, you want to charge right in and give every reason why you're right and why they're wrong. But here's what I did instead. I just said, well, so you don't think that what this group does is effective. And he said, no, we think it's awful. We think it's, uh, it's you're just using intimidation kind of tactics. It shuts down conversation. It's just an awful way to go about it. And I said, okay, fair enough. So what do you think would be a more effective way to expose a hidden injustice? And he goes, well, that's a good question, isn't it? (laughs) He goes, I really like that because it makes me think about other things. And he knew a bit of history. He knew that the slave trade in England was stopped because William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson showed images of slavery to the British people. See, slavery in England, uh, in the, in the, in the uh, homeland, was, it didn't happen. It was in the, the colonies. So Brits didn't, hadn't seen it. They didn't know what slavery was. And when they saw images of how the slaves were being treated, it awoken the nation's conscience to the issue. And the slave trade quickly came to an end. The images did more than words ever could. And just simply asking this man that question, I just, I've never seen a, a, a about face as quick as, as this in my life. Here's this guy, he's angry. He's mocking these things. And I just go, well, what's a better way? And he goes, well, that's a good question. And instantly it drew him to his own history. That question allowed him to come to the conclusion I wanted him to come to, and I didn't say a thing. That's how powerful questions are. As a pastor, some people call me an apologist, I ask way more questions than I make statements. It allows you to be seen as sincere, It allows you to engage in an authentic conversation rather than lecture to somebody. And it's a way to get past somebody's defenses and allow them to reflect on their position. And a lot of times when you do that, people will see what is wrong with their position. So some really good questions to ask are things like this. What do you mean by that? A lot of times people use words and you think you know what they mean, but... Sometimes they use words in a completely different way than you do. So if you want to have a good conversation, make sure you know how they're using the words. Well, what do you mean by that? You say all these people are bigots. Well, what do you mean by bigot? You mean that people that don't think like you? What do you mean by that? Get them to explain what they mean. And another really important one, just two for you. How did you come to that conclusion? Yes, sir. Okay, cool. Use questions. Listen. How many of you are good at listening? Not very many of us. What do we usually do in these conversations? When somebody is talking and they're challenging your beliefs, instead of listening, what are you doing? Thinking about what to say. Everybody does that. We all have the same problem. Is that a good way to have a conversation? What does it show you when you're talking to somebody and you know they're not listening to you? What does it make you feel? What you're saying 
that what I'm saying is not important. What I'm, I'm not important. You don't care about me. You don't care about truth. All you want to do is lecture me. But we do it, don't we? We don't listen. Now, listening is so powerful. And when you listen, and you listen well, you're listening to more than just what they're saying. You're hearing them. You're hearing their hurt. You're hearing their anger. You hear their curiosity or the fact that they're confused. When you listen and listen well, you hear the person behind the position. And when you hear a person, what do you think it makes you feel for that person? Compassion. You're exactly right. Makes you more compassionate towards somebody. And when you're more compassionate towards somebody, it keeps that conversation calm. It allows you to be more loving, to find out what's really going on in their life. So practice listening. A real quick strategy on how to listen well, this is what I do all the time. When somebody is talking, and inevitably they're going to get long-winded, right? They just go on and on and on. One of the things I always do is I'll say this, well, hang on, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. You just told me, uh, if I heard you right, you don't believe in God because there's so much evil in this world. And you think that if an all-powerful, all-good God existed, he would not let bad things happen to good people. Did I hear you right? Is that your position? That's, an effect, that's one of the strategies that I use to make sure that I heard somebody. When I do that, what does it say to somebody? That I'm listening. What is it else does it tell them? That I care about them. Because here's the thing. We like to give answers, don't we? In these types of conversations about politics, morality, religion, we like to give answers. But answers are only meaningful when they're given to an actual question. And so often, what do we do in these conversations? We assume we know what the other person's thinking. We assume we know why they came to that conclusion. But we really don't know. So you must listen. Stay on topic, too. These conversations like to go all over the place. You know, you start talking about politics, and before long you're talking about the reliability of the Bible. You're like, how the heck did we get here? Is that an effective way to have a conversation? When you end up talking about everything, you, in practice, talk about nothing. So these issues are so sometimes difficult, emotionally charged, that you can't take on everything all at once. So do everything you can just to stay on topic. Do you know how you stay on topic? By listening and asking questions. See, this all works together. Someone's going on, they're carrying on, they're getting long-winded, you feel like they're getting off topic. You go, you know what, that's really interesting. Uh, what you just brought up is really interesting, but I don't know that we ever really settled whether or not truth exists or not. I was really kind of really getting into what we were talking about, whether truth is absolute or relative. Let's go back to that. And then you can just focus on one thing at a time. And in doing that, your conversations are more effective and they're less likely to get heated. Last thing and we're done. Be encouraging in these conversations. There is no reason why these have to turn into heated, angry fights. Just because somebody doesn't think like you doesn't mean they're your enemy. Most people are good people. 
They love their neighbor. They love this country. You know, they love their kids. They love their relatives. That's why most people are, they're not evil. But it's crazy. When people disagree with us, for some reason, they turn into the devil. They become our opponent. And that doesn't have to be the case. So be encouraging in these conversations. Some of the ways you can do that is just by having interested eye contact. Listen. Say things like, that, you know what, that's a really good question. Or, hey, that's actually a good point. I don't have the answer to that. That's really good. I've thought that myself too. You can be cordial. Just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you have to be offensive. So in these conversations, be encouraging. And we all need to do this. Let us seek the good of our neighbor by being committed to having compassionate and respectful conversations about the most meaningful things in life. Because my encouragement to you here, those of you that are Christians, is there anything more important than the answer to the question, does God exist? What's more important than that? We must be people that know how to have conversations so that others can find what we have found. And even if you are not a believer in this room, is that not the world you want to live in? A world of respect, where people with differing ideas can come together to seek what is true. And just because we don't think like each other doesn't mean that we have to hate each other and be each other's enemies. And I think every one of you, literally tonight, can have effective conversations if you ask yourself that thing. Remember Pulse. Am I being too preachy? Am I using enough questions? Am I listening? Am I staying on topic? And am I being encouraging? And for those of you that have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if you will do those things while trusting in Him, you can expect to have much more fruitful conversations. Thank you for letting me be here tonight.